0: Uh, take your copy of God's Word and open to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, as we go towards Christmas Day, we're going to keep working through the gospel according to Matthew. Um, every page of the Bible is about Jesus. Um, they all point to him, what he has done, and so you can really... Probably go to almost any page of the Bible and eventually end up at something about Advent, something about Christmas, and that God has sent his son. But that's really especially true as we look at the teachings of Jesus. as He goes back to the very reasons that he came to bear witness to the truth. And we see this especially as we come into Matthew. So as you have people who uh, want to come and hear the expository, you know, just preaching God's word, we're going to keep going through that over this Christmas time. Um, if you're visiting with us, by the way, and, and maybe you want to know what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus, uh, we have some books out there they are available, nice little uh, books which are really explanatory of uh, the Christian faith and why it's significant that Jesus came. It's called Christmas Uncut, why Christmas happened and why it really matters. And so we have some available out on the table out there. If you'd like to pick one up, we'd love to be able to get one to you. So if you want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, what Christmas is all about, we just encourage you to pick one of those up. So you can see on the screen, you also see inside your, your own copies of God's Word, uh, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 3 through 10. Um, i shall read 1 through 10. But then um, our focus today is going to be on verse 6. And that's, we're just going to focus all of our attention on that verse today. Uh, hear the Word of God. Seeing the crowds. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, we ask, Lord, that you would be our teacher. Yes, I've planned a sermon. Yes, I've worked these things out. But Father, I ask that you would preach a better sermon than I planned. The one which is spiritually impressed, the one which is worked into our hearts by faith, the one who takes your word and applies it to our lives. That's a work of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Lord, send your Spirit, teach us, lead us by your word, and make us into the image of Christ. Father, we'd be his faithful followers. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look to uh, Matthew 5, verse 6, uh, we want to look at how our deepest desires can be filled. And by that, I mean our spiritual desires, our spiritual desires. As we head towards Christmas, maybe you have put together a Christmas list. I remember uh, being a little kid and feverishly working on my Christmas list that that Santa would know what I wanted from him uh, at that Christmas time. When I was a kid, I was especially, I remember especially wanting, San, uh, wanting um, uh, Star Wars action figures. Maybe some of you grew up during the same time I did and it was all about the Star Wars action figures. If only I had some of those still. That's sometimes what I wonder. Um, But, you know, as time goes on, maybe that list changes. It turned to video games. And after video games, it probably turned, gratefully, back to books. And then um, after books, you know, I guess now what do I really want on my list? But it's, I really want time to go with my family. I think that's one of the greatest things that I can get. Um, You know, those lists are helpful because it helps. People ask them, my family asks for them, hey, what can we get you? And I put that down. But as life goes on, you know, what is on that list is reflective of maybe a stage that we might be going through inside of our own lives. Where are we in life? And that's reflected in the things that we desire, that some we might put on that list. It's because our interests change. We mature. We grow. Uh, our situation and our needs in life begin to change. Now, I think we can all understand why people would have physical desires. Uh, you know, there's a desire for safety, there's a desire for food, there's a desire for shelter. And and once those desires are met, uh, there's often a desire for more. Maybe it's more wealth, um, it's greater security desire, maybe for more as a status symbol to show that we've reached some status in, in life. We can think of many reasons why people would want more. But it is something truly spiritual for someone to desire righteousness. Apart from God's grace, our desires are drawn towards the world, are drawn towards expedience. They are drawn towards self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction. And that makes somewhat sense because we know what it means to desire. But what about wanting righteousness? That is a spiritual work of God, and it's a spiritual work of God that we see described in Matthew 5-6. As we read Jesus' words here, we see that he uses vivid language, vivid language that we can all understand, because who here has not hungered or been hungry at some point? And he uses the, the language of hunger and thirst uh, to describe a desire, to describe a passionate desire for one thing, and that's for righteousness. This is the language of deep longing. This is the, the language of something that we need. And if we don't need it, we're going to die. I mean, we all hunger for something. I mean, to be human is to desire. God has made us that way. In fact, he's given us hunger to show that we have a need, doesn't he? You know, hunger shows us that we need food. We need energy in order uh, to continue existing, to continue on living. And and even as maybe that hunger is met, we know what it means to feel hungry, and we want to plan ahead we don't get to that point. And so what does that lead us? That leads us to industry, and it leads us to invention. It leads us to discovery. It leads us to hard work that we would be able to plan ahead, that we wouldn't be in a spot where we would get there. And here Jesus talks about the spiritual work of hungering after righteousness. That's the hunger that he says we're to cultivate. That's the hunger he calls us to develop. Now before I go on, I want to connect this up with the rest of the Beatitudes, at least where we are so far. As we saw a couple weeks ago, the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus starts up, we see in verses 3 through 12, with what's called the Beatitudes, you know, eight statements about, you know, a, a people, a, an attitude, an approach to life that God blesses, that has God's favor, and, and he, he blesses and he favors it with a reward in the end. And as we looked at verses 3 through 5 last time, we saw that there's some attitudinal um, characteristics of a disciple, the attitude of a follower of Jesus. The attitude which God favors and blesses. And we talked about being poor in spirit, mourning over sin, being meek. And we talked about the need of humility inside of life, that we recognize that God is God, that we have fallen short of his standard. Um, We see our own weakness, and we see that we have a need from him, a need of forgiveness and grace. Well, as we turn to verse 6 then, it begins to move from that attitude, that posture, of a believer, and it points towards the desire. The desire uh, of the disciple. where Where is he headed? Where is he going? Where are his feet pointed towards? And the answer that we see listed here in verse 6 is towards righteousness. Towards righteousness. What is righteousness? I mean, at it its it most simple, righteousness means right with God. The person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness wants to be accepted by God, wants to walk in a way that pleases God, wants the world around us to be right. And there's great news that's attended with this beatitude. And that's if righteousness is on your list, if it's on your wish list, then God will help you have it. God will ensure that you're satisfied. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. Now, there are three ways that we would miss this. Three things that even this verse points us towards. We'd miss this satisfaction that comes in the righteousness of God. And our first problem is to not hunger for righteousness at all. Maybe you're here and you think, you know, I have a lot of other things to think about right now. A lot of things going on in my life. A lot of things I need to point my attention to. And righteousness is not one of them could be one one thing is hunger not hungering for righteousness at all a second problem we might have is hungering and thirsting for things that do not satisfy we're going to talk about more about that more as we go on but hungering and thirsting for things that will not satisfy you something other than righteousness and third we have a problem of looking to the wrong source for righteousness Because beyond this understanding of righteousness is that it is a righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness that has been given to us from God, that he describes what that is. And he has given it to us inside the scripture. We're going to talk about more of that here in just a few minutes. If any of these things are off, we will remain unsatisfied. If we hunger and thirst for anything other than righteousness, we will end up not satisfied. Things might seem good. It's good to have that relationship. It's great to have that money. Sin can be really fun. That's because the world will satisfy at least for a time. But I like to compare it to a good snack. A good snack. Those things, those kind of snacks that keep us maybe from eating good food. Now as we head towards Christmas, I mean we head towards the season of some of the best foods ever, don't we? I mean, if you were here last night, the spread of food that was laid out inside that fireside room, um, the things that you brought, it was was delicious. And, you know, probably the best part of it, right, is the bag tables over here where I had all the desserts. I don't know. We had probably had three tables of desserts. Amen. You know, good, good, good desserts there. And, you know, if I could just, actually, I did do this because I went through last. I started at the dessert table. And then I said, you know, I should probably get something healthy on my plate as well that's because you know with chocolate covered pretzels and and cookies and all of those things you know i could sit and eat them and i could probably skip a meal or two just eating those but the thing is if we eat those foods those snacks between meals that we're not hungry for the main foods that we need we've learned this with little children with small children, if they eat snacks at 4:30 p.m., that when dinner time at 5 p.m. rolls around, they probably won't be hungry for the good, healthy food that is there before them. Now they probably will be hungry, maybe around 8 o'clock for some other sugary snack at at that point, but they missed out on that great meal which is available to them at five. And if we look towards the health concerns of our nation, and we can see that snacking is a big part of our health epidemic. Snacking creates unhealthy children, filled with sugars and fats, missing good food, and after a long time of that, adults end up with debilitating and life-threatening sicknesses. And so, you know, snacks, they're good, right? but there are too many of them that are destructive. I was comparing this also with maybe another way that we um, try to find satisfaction in a sort of snacking way, and that was in our, the way we avoid being bored the way we avoid being bored. I mean some people are really afraid of being bored. We are really in an amusement-oriented world, in a entertainment-driven world. And and so sometimes we're just like, well, I'm so bored. What am I gonna do? And and so what do we do when we don't want to be bored? We flip through social media, we binge watch new television shows, we uh play games. You know, but these things leave us unsatisfied. We just you know look for that next social media thing that we may have missed out always checking our phone for it maybe you know finding oh you know I just binge this show I wonder what show is going to be next there's a leaving of unfulfillment that is there a dissatisfaction i was comparing this like with running or exercising any kind of exercising you know what the one thing i've never done after i've been exercised is I never say, wow, I really want more of that. I mean, usually at that point, I'm satisfied enough that I think, okay, that's good for the day, and I'll get back at this tomorrow, but there's a sort of satisfaction that's there. But, you know, when we snack on all these other things, is we miss out on things that do make a difference in our life, that exercise, that reading a good book, those learning of new things, the stretching ourselves and putting ourselves out there, trying new activities, just for the sake of not wanting to be bored. Now, what about you in your spiritual life? Are you snacking spiritually instead of having what's good? Are you being satisfied in God, the source of righteousness? I mean, we can snack on the things of the world. We can all do that. And it's good for a while, but in the end, it leaves us unsatisfied. There'll never be enough money, never enough power, influence, never enough entertainment, never enough fame. And God intends that we'd only be satisfied in him. And that's one of the reasons these things are so unsatisfying for us. is he leaves them unsatisfying, he purposely disciplines us to remind us that they are unsatisfying because the worst thing that we can ever have is to be satisfied in this life, only come to that final judgment seat of Christ, to stand before his throne, and to realize that we've been satisfied in all the wrong things. and We end up in the judgment of God. If, only we see, if we only seek satisfaction in the world, we will have no place in the satisfaction of heaven. But only in the dissatisfaction of that separation from God. So we don't join in what the world says that righteousness is boring or that we won't get ahead. This antiquated thing. You know, our answer is that without a hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will never be truly filled and that's why God calls out to us. He says, don't be satisfied in the world. Only be satisfied in what will fill. That's what we see in Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. God says this, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Reminds us, being satisfied is of grace. We'll talk about that more. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Again, satisfaction is Grace. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why indeed do we do that? Listen diligently to me, God says, and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. The world says, don't worry about righteousness. I mean, people justify shortcuts all the time. I I recently watched a documentary called McMillions. I know if you remember, there was a... um, game that McDonald's had years ago it was the Monopoly game. And you know, you could, if you bought a super drink, you get two drink, you get two stickers. And, and your goal with the Monopoly was to get, you know, the properties together. I want to get boardwalk and park place because if you get boardwalk and park place together, you win a million dollars. Well, this documentary told about how um, one man he stole all, he worked for a printing company, ended up stealing all of the McDonald's game pieces that were winners. And he, well, he couldn't catch it himself because that'd be too obvious, right? So what he did is he ended up finding friends and family and acquaintances and he ended up selling them to all of them. And so he'd make some money off of it um, doing that and then his, his friends and family and those people would become rich. Well, the FBI eventually discovered it. There was a sting and they were all busted for it. But one of the things that I was surprised is watching it was just how ordinary and average the people who were buying these tickets were. You know, there were people like me. They were no different than any of us. You know, and yet, even though they knew they were doing something wrong, um, that there was the sense of justification which was given to it. Well, I should be able to do it because of this. And it's really not that be- because of, of that. And even though they knew they were doing something wrong, that they could somehow justify it. We tend to justify ourselves. The world says you need to be practical. That righteousness may be good, but it's not the most important thing. What matters is what you need right now. Sometimes you need to compromise. That's what the world tells us. You gotta compromise to get what you want. There's no such thing as right or wrong. It's just what's expedient for you now. But that's not Jesus' message to the disciples. That's not Jesus' message to us. There's a call to something different. We must hunger and thirst for the righteousness that comes from God. And so righteousness is found in Jesus. If you turn in your Bible over to John chapter seven, You know, the Bible is just so full of this language of thirsting and being satisfied and of righteousness. And in John chapter 7, verse 37, uh, Jesus says this. He says, I can satisfy you. Jesus can satisfy us. We need to go to him. Then we'll be satisfied. Do you want peace with God? Do you want to know you go to heaven? Do you want purpose, love, joy? Those are found in Jesus. Look what he says in John 7, verse 37. So on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Are you thirsty? Jesus says, come to me. He doesn't say go to religion. He doesn't say go to money. He doesn't say, you know, go to that girl, that guy. He says, if you thirst, go to me. Come to me. And If you've ever been hungry, I mean really hungry, you know how good food is to a hungry stomach. And even strange foods we never thought we'd like. You know the best food ever is camping food, isn't it? If you have ever been camping, you've worked hard. You've hiked in somewhere. You've spent all that work setting up, and then you cook something, which maybe at home would be somewhat mediocre. But you know, because you spent all that work doing it, it just tastes. And you're hungry. It just tastes so much better. Jesus is like that to us. Have you found that in Christ? I remember discovering that when I first believed in Jesus. That you know, I I didn't know my need. And then I heard about Jesus. I heard about the forgiveness of sins. I heard about the life that he provides and the eternal life that he gives and in tasting him, going to him as he describes there in John 7, I was satisfied in a way I'd never been satisfied before. Something was filled. And I hope you know that too. That hope of righteousness comes in him. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I want to talk about three aspects of righteousness that Jesus provides through faith. The first thing is the hunger for righteousness, which is described as desire for personal righteousness. The desire for personal righteousness. This is the, the person who says, I want to live rightly. The person who prays, Father, I want to be a godly person. I know I've fallen short of your law, but I want to live in a way that pleases you. We, we live in a world that is sinful, that is fallen. People do wrong, and they invite us to participate in that wrongdoing. And more than that, there's a recognition that within our own heart, within our own mind, within our own soul, there is a power that wants to do wrong. Why do we sin? I mean, we want authority. We want security. We want our desires to be met. We don't want to suffer, and so we turn away from God to fulfill those things. The Bible talks about the idols of the human heart, uh, how desires and beliefs just drive our actions into ways that are contrary to God's word that lead us into sin. The hunger for righteousness, though, is the desire to please God. And the person who hungers for righteousness recognizes the Bible gives us a standard of right and wrong and has a desire to do what's right. The hunger for righteousness recognizes that external religion or just mere external actions will not change our heart. We need a new heart that wants what God wants. So throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, as we look forward to that, Jesus is going to confront the belief that that external religion is sufficient to please God. If there's no heart that's there that also wants to please God. I mean, there are a lot of people then, just like now, who say, well, I haven't killed anyone, I haven't robbed a bank, I have never cheated on my wife, I go to church, so I must be a pretty good person. And Jesus is going to confront that attitude over and again. He challenges his disciples, basically asking, yeah, well, what's in your heart? Do you really want what is good? When no one is around, does your anger come out, your greed, your lust? What about your religion? Is it for show? Or is it a genuine part of your heart? Now here's the good news. The good news is that God has provided a way to live a righteous life. He said, you will be satisfied. Jesus came to make us in a new people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone The new has come. It is a new creation. There is a desire to do that is good. There is a new force which is at work within a believer. That's what it means to be a new creation. God does it by giving us a new heart. If you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31, you see the description of this new heart that's given. God takes away a heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. He writes his law in our hearts that instead of just being an external set of rules that I got to jump through hoops to get through, we said there's a desire to do them because a the desire from the heart to please God. Jeremiah 31, sorry, in verse 31, God talks about this as being the new covenant, a new covenant he's making with his people. Verse 31, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He's going to make a new covenant with his people. It was not like with the covenant I made with their forefathers the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. So what's that covenant that he makes with his people in Jesus Christ? He says this, I will put my law within them and will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So instead of a list of of do's and don'ts that we would need to look at and make sure that we follow, no, now it's a principle that's written inside of our hearts. So we say, I want to please God with all that I have, with all that I am. I know what he says, and I follow them, not just as a matter of external compliance, but it's an eternal desire. So how does God satisfy that hunger for righteousness? We see that he gives us a new heart. He writes his law on that heart. So that's what's inside of us. But he also gives us some help outside so that this desire be satisfied. He's given us his word. He's given us his word to lead us into righteousness. If you turn to Second Timothy 3.16, we see this Described. We're not left to figure it out on our own. We're not left to, you know, always rely on all the people around us to figure out what it is. No, God has given to us in his word an um, understanding of truth, of what's right and what's wrong. He's given us one of absolute truth. And so the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is not one who follows his emotions, not looking for the headlines to know what to believe or do, Not beholding the opinion of others to do it? No, steered by the authoritative, absolute word of God. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We need to remember that God's word defines righteousness. It defines what is right and what is not right. It's not defined by that influencer on TikTok. It's not defined by those textbooks. It's not defined by those ethics text- textbooks. It comes from the word of God itself. That's what differentiates between good and evil. It cuts through the confusion of our world. I mean, everyone thinks that their view is right, and that's why we need God's word to show us. And we build based on that. That's our foundation. We build and we grow on the authority of God's word and not ever using God's word to cover any misdeed we might want to take. That's a misuse of God's word. But we understand it as it has been given to us, as handed down to us. So he's given us his word, that we know it's good, that we walk in righteousness, that that desire would be satisfied. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives his Holy Spirit to actually walk in it, to fill us, to convict us, to direct us. John 14, 26, Jesus said that the helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So again, the Holy Spirit, God's word, and then the Holy Spirit given to us to help us apply that to our lives. Another thing that God has helped to give us to satisfy that hunger and thirst for righteousness is the local church. God has given us a church to know the satisfaction of seeking righteousness. Turn to Hebrews, if you would, Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 24, towards the end of your Bible there, Hebrews 10: 24 and 25. You know, can there be anything better than a group of people who hunger after thirst and right, hunger and thirst for righteousness? and to join up with them in that pursuit. A group that helps keep one another accountable, that receives the word and sacraments together, that encourages one another in the pursuit of this righteousness. I mean, that's, that's our calling together as a church. This to make disciples who would live rightly before the Lord, hungering and thirsting after righteousness together. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, let's consider how to serve one another to righteousness, to live righteously. But verse 25 reminds us, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, as we gather together, We do it in our care groups. We do it in our worship services. We do it through our service together. Isn't that what we do? We're stirring up righteousness. We're stirring up love and good works for the glory of God, for the good of our neighbor. That's what the body of Christ is to do. So if we want to uh, be satisfied the righteousness that God has provided, I mean, the first thing we need to do is to pray, saying, God, give me a new heart, write your law on my heart that I would want to do your commands and walk in them. That's the first thing we can do. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Or maybe it's committing to follow God's word. I mean, maybe you're at a point where you have a moral decision that you're faced with. Or you know that there's a pattern of decisions you're making which are contrary to God's word. You know, choose to follow God's word. Don't choose to follow your own way or that influencer who's leading you in another way, but would you take on God's word? And finally, wrap yourself up with the love and the good works of the church. I mean, just being an active part of a church, you know, through the morning services, through the evening services, through care group together, serving together, it has a steering function to our life. You know, God uses that by his grace. The steer us in the satisfaction of righteousness. So there's a the desire for personal righteousness. The second thing we want to look at is the desire for alien righteousness. The person who says, I want to be accepted by God. You know, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness knows the greatest thing is that I could be accepted by God. Nothing matters more than that acceptance that comes from God. You know, there's a hunger that all parents have for, all children have for the, for the acceptance of their parents. I mean, this even surpasses that. I want to be accepted by God because eternal life hangs in the balance of that acceptance. Now, the problem is, is that there's something inside of our lives which is unacceptable to God. And that's sin. I mean, that is our unrighteousness. Sin leaves us blemished. Sin leaves us separated from God. We've broken God's righteous requirements. We've done things that he told us not to do. We failed to do the things that he told us to do. We know we're supposed to do, and we know something is wrong with us. That conscience keeps reminding us of where we've fallen short. We see the times we do the things we know we shouldn't have done. And so many times, what do we do? But we, we set up some way that we can think that we're good, justifying our improper behavior. We stick our heads in the ground. We say that we're good people. We give a few dollars here. We volunteer there. But never dealing with the root issue that the Bible addresses, that we've sinned against God. There's a form of self-righteousness the world holds forth. People think that they are good whether from very religious culture, very non-religious culture, the world presses us to think that we're virtuous, to think there's a reason why we do wrong things. But that sort of self-righteousness has never brought anyone to God. I mean, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not blessed are those who've discovered their own righteousness. But no, we hunger for something which is outside of us. So Romans chapter 1 talks about this. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. Because we need a hunger. We need a righteousness that comes from outside of us. You know, when we talk about an alien righteousness, that's what we're talking about. It's not from within us, but it comes from outside and it's given to us. It comes from outside and it's, it's, it's impressed upon us. And that's the righteousness that comes from God that we see described in Romans chapter 1. It's a righteousness from God. Only God is good. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he covers our unrighteousness with the righteousness of his son. And that is the great discovery of the gospel. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You want to know the power of salvation is to believe in the gospel. That's what he's saying. The Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 17, For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, and as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the making known of a righteousness outside outside of us that comes down and forgives us of our sins and makes us acceptable to God. If we're satisfied in ourselves, we will not find satisfaction in God because we miss out on that faith, which we're called to receive that. That's one of the kinds of snacking that keeps us from really hungering after righteousness to snack on a good deed here and a good deed there instead of genuinely hungering after the true righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. Snacking is thinking there's any good in us so that we don't need God. We need to see there's nothing good in us by ourselves and that the only goodness we could have must come from Jesus Christ. And when we see our sin and our need of righteousness, then we have the opportunity to be truly satisfied. Right, uh, last week, uh, the pastor, Jim Weaver, talked about mixtapes. And so you remember mixtapes are, you know, when you take the songs that you really like from one artist and another artist, and you, you put them together. Maybe, you, you know, back in the 80s, we'd do mixtapes with people we really loved, right? So if we liked a girl or someone, or if you liked a guy, maybe you'd put a mixtape together of your favorite songs. But, you know, maybe you have a, a um, Uh, artists and you have their tape and you like some songs but you didn't like others. You definitely would not put the songs that you didn't like on that mixtape. You only pick the greatest hits from the people you really like to be on that mixtape and even if you do You know, you do sound, um, what do you call them, playlists. You do playlists on your iPhone or something like that. You know, you don't put the songs you don't like. I mean, you might like the first song of Taylor Swift, but not the second or the third song. So you leave those off and you put the fourth song back on there. You know, that's part of your playlist. And self-righteousness is kind of like that. Well, I like this part of me. But I don't like that part and I like this part of me, but I don't like that part. And it's kind of like string together a playlist of our lives so that we could think that we're good people overall, to think that every one of our songs that we ever do is always good. But that's not the righteousness that God gives. The righteousness that God gives is described in 2 Corinthians 5:21, which says this. It says for our sake God made him, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the righteousness we have is all of Jesus' greatest hits. And Jesus had no flops. He had no bad songs. He had nothing. And so, you know, when you look at that perfection that we need, it is all the perfections of Jesus which are laid on us. It's not us string together, the greatest hits of our lives, but it's all of Jesus' greatest hits. It's his perfect obedience to his law that he gives to us. And so it's 1 John 1, 9. Yes, God forgives our sins, but it's greater than that. We have all the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at us, he sees the perfections of Jesus. And that's what it means to be fully righteous before God. That is the righteousness that comes from outside of us. It's a reminder of why he didn't just come as a 30-year-old man. Christmas, we celebrate Jesus coming as a baby. He didn't come as a 30-year-old man and live for three years and teach and die on a cross. That's why he didn't come just for one week of his life, you know, to just that Passion Week and to live that week and to be crucified on the cross and rise again from the dead. No, Jesus came as a baby to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. So to all his righteousness, every good thing that he did, all of the, the, his obedience to God in every way gets credited and applied to his people. He credit to us as we believe in him by faith. That's what it means to be righteous before God. That's what it means to be justified. That all of Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. It's get credited to it. Even though we didn't do it ourselves. Romans 3. Starting in verse 21 talks about this. Romans 3.21 it says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Right. How did righteousness appear? It wasn't by the set of rules. But it was through Jesus. The law of the prophets bore witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God came through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? Have you received his righteousness? You know, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness to know you're accepted by God, that you enter into heaven, you need that righteousness which will cover over your sins, the righteousness which is accepted by God. And so again, if you're visiting with us, that's why we have this book out there, you know, to know this Christmas story, to know how it applies to you and to work to apply it to your own life. I encourage you to pick up one of those if you want to know what it means to have a relationship with God, what Christmas is all about. Well, the third kind of righteousness I want to talk about is the desire for social righteousness. The desire for social righteousness. This is the thing we say, we say, you know, I want to live in a just world. You know, we want to see righteousness in our world. We want to see righteousness in our world for our children's sake, for our neighbors' sake, for the people that we love, and, and, uh, you know, not to experience any of the injustices of the world upon ourselves. Now, I can't develop this in all the ways that I'd want to, but if we follow Jesus, we, you know, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we want to live in a righteous world. We want to be surrounded by people who are good. We want to be surrounded by people who are trustworthy. We want to live in a world where people don't suffer, where the weak and the vulnerable are protected. We hate to see it when our loved ones suffer. We hate to suffer ourselves. It's a reminder. That we live in a sinful world where people use sin and and they take advantage of others, where uh, justice is often missing and great suffering takes place. We want to live in a world where injustice is rightly dealt with, where it's rightly punished. To live in a world where people don't take advantage of us. We're not subject to crime, to abuse, to be manipulated. We want this for our nation. Our own nation, Proverbs fourteen thirty four says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice or righteousness and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now, there are many who don't care about God's righteousness. They've set themselves up as, as Enemies to God, enemies to the gospel, Um, they take advantage of the opportunities they have. They willingly take advantage of others. They disregard God's commands for, for justice, for marriage, for family, for race. They promote a godless ideology of culture. These injustices leave women, children, elderly, babies in the womb, ultimately all citizens vulnerable to evil. I mean, no nation will be satisfied in sin, but, you know, you know, proceeds and moves towards self-destruction. And so we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the people around us, for this world where, inside this world where God's law is neglected and self-advantage seems to rule. Will we be satisfied when we see God's righteousness here in this world? And yes, we will see it where, where it appears, but we also know that we'll see the effects of sin and the damage done by godless worldviews. But it is amazing to see the good that the Christian worldview has done. The, the things that the Christian worldview and the Christian faith has done in society. And to you know, help people to, to do well and to prosper. But we know as long as God allows sin to remain in this world, we will not be fully satisfied. What's really satisfying is to see people know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is the way of righteousness. He is the way of peace. He is the way of being able to follow after God and walk righteously. And what a delight it is to see somebody come, un- come, to, come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and the joy and the love, the purpose that, that he directs them to. And that's our hope and prayer, you know, to see revival, to see many turn to faith in Christ. And that's why we do evangelism. That's why we tell people about Christ. That's why we continue to pray. And the whole time we continue to work towards this righteousness of God. We practice the kingdom of God as a church. We share the gospel. We vote our Christian conscience. And we work to make our neighborhoods and schools better. We pray, come Lord Jesus. We know that building God's kingdom is an act of love. Even if we feel limited in the way that we can help. And still, even though our desire for righteousness and a righteous world may be only partially satisfied in this life, there is a time where it is fully satisfied. That's in the return of Jesus. This is, the again, month of Advent, and we remember Jesus' first coming, but we so heartily look forward to his second coming when he establishes his, his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. Describes in Revelation 29, This establishment of a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation twenty one, verses five through eight. Read this and he who is seated on the throne Jesus said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. You know Don't you see that? To the thirsty. You know, we have this repeated theme of our thirst being satisfied. And here we see it's totally of grace, the spring of the water of life, that we'd live forever without payment, secured for us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how he gives it to He bought it with his own blood. Verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. We enter that by faith. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Some will be satisfied, and others rejecting Christ, rejecting faith, will not. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God will quench our thirst for the spring of the water of life. We'll be satisfied in entering into heaven with the glory of God, The goodness, the justice, the joy, the order, the love that's there. Heaven is a place of righteousness, organized by God in accordance with his law, in accordance with his nature and his character. And oh, for the joy to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And we must be united to Jesus Christ by faith to enter. We need to know his righteousness. We must be those been forgiven by his grace, who's come under his rule, who won his kingdom. Apart from Christ, we know only judgment. Apart from the grace of God that gives new life, we would never have wanted righteousness. We never would have wanted God's rule. Apart from God's grace, we never would have been satisfied in the righteousness of heaven, and we would have been in eternity under God's judgment. But he has poured out grace. He's given it to the thirsty without cost, without price. That's what we remember at Christmas time: God's gracious plan to save a people for himself. To pour out mercy instead of justice upon them. To pour out grace, what they didn't deserve, but he wanted to give them. He is populating heaven with the people who have trusted in Christ. Objects of his grace. What an indescribable gift. That Jesus came to the world to bring a righteousness for us. To satisfy those who want peace with God. To know his purposes, to know his love, to know the joy of following him. In the Magnificat, Mary's song, after hearing that she would bear the Messiah in her own womb, she said this, she said in Luke 1, 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 53, then later she says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. These things, personal righteousness, imputed righteousness, social righteousness, righteousness in heaven, all these things can be ours because Jesus came. We gained them through his love, his self-sacrifice. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Would you be filled with the good things of God? Would you be filled with his righteousness? Look to Jesus Christ. Believe. Let his righteousness fill you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you promised to fill the hungry with good things. And on that first Christmas, you sent your Son to satisfy us. Forgive us, Lord, for the way we find satisfaction in the world instead of in Jesus. Would you help us as we seek after righteousness? Give us a new heart. Cover our sins. Help us to do good to those around us, Father. We look for that satisfaction that can only be found. In Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.